Hello and welcome to the Clubhouse. This is Golf Monthly's weekly look at the various different events in the world of golf. And uh, today I've got a couple of guests with me. Uh, firstly, Jeremy Elwood. Jez, hi, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. And it's been a splendid day where we are today. Well, I was gonna, we'll come on to that in a second. Let me just Sorry. introduce our second guest, very special guest, very lucky to have. Uh, Mr. Barney Puttick with us. Barney, hi, how are you? Yeah, really good, great. I'm really happy to be here too. It's fantastic. Uh, Barney, for those of you who don't know, Barney's one of our uh, top 25 UK coaches that we use. Barney's a regular in the magazine, uh, providing tips in the magazine and uh, video content for us um, online. Um, gents, before we get into the content of the podcast, just explain to people exactly where we're sat and what we're doing. Um, well, we are sat on a bench, now looking the wrong way by the... <laughs> Uh, what is this hole? This is the 15th tee. 15th tee at West Hill Golf Club in uh, Surrey, in leafy Surrey. Indeed. I think this is the first time we've ever done a podcast outside. It's well, what a great place to do it. It is absolutely fantastic. I have to say, the golf course is in mint condition. It's been a real pleasure to be here today. They're preparing for a big pro-am, aren't they? Yes. You can tell they're feverishly working away around the edge of the golf course. There have been a lot of men... Uh, in little machines driving around and the greens look pretty slick to me. Yeah. Yes, they do yeah. look good. Well, the reason that we're here um, is because uh, Golf Monthly, this, this September issue of Golf Monthly, is all about faults and fixes. So we've compiled, or oh, I say we've compiled, Barney. I, mm. I mean, I have, I'll be honest, given you the majority of the workload yeah. here. But <laughs> we, between us, we've sort of compiled a list of the 50 biggest faults in golf. So everything from a slice, with your drives to inconsistent strikes with your fairways to mm. shanks to duff chips. I mean, we've hit all of them today. Yeah, absolutely. It's a real a war and peace of <laughs> golfing instruction. Yeah, so the idea being that um, anyone who's uh, picking up a copy of Golf Monthly, whatever your fault is, you will be able to find one of Barney's brilliant fixes to help you through the problem, to help you get through to the other side. Um, so that's why we're at West Hill today. We've been producing all the video content for that, so please do keep your eyes peeled on the Golf Monthly um, uh, website for the content around this and on the Facebook page, YouTube as well, because you will find um, everything you need to help you yeah, get through any difficult periods that you might be having within your golf game. Um, and it seems like a good opportunity for us to put together a podcast, gents. So, mm. Jezza, I'm going to mm. start with you. Mm. As we have the man himself sat between us on this park bench, we, sadly we don't have any special brew. It would have really added to the scene, you know, three men, three middle-aged men sat in a park, sat on the golf course bench, discussing their problems on the golf course. Yes. Um, Jezet, what would be your biggest fault in the game? If you could ask Barney for a, for a, for a fix for your most consistent fault, what would it be? Well, I'm renowned for being a pretty flat-footed through the swing. You are. Which video evidence cannot be denied. And it's there and I, I'd like to resolve it, but I don't really know how. But I obviously have a series of compensating other movements that allow me to generally hit the ball. So what's the, what's the bad shot? What's the fault shot? Um, what's the, the resulting bad uh, shot? Usually, from if I get too flat-footed, I would pull it. Yeah. Mm, okay. I don't know whether that makes sense or not. Yeah, it does sound about Everything right. Everything yeah. stops and the ball just heads off left. Mm. Um, so... That would be number one for the work. The, the second thing is I'm a very, very poor full wedge player. So mm. those are the things that really, whether the two are linked, I don't know. So Barney, what would be your advice to Jez? Well, I, th I think the, that's quite a common error there. And it's often the player just doesn't get off their right side. So in endeavouring to hit the ball, they'll be just hitting at it very slightly from the top and then leaving the bulk of their weight on the right foot at the moment of impact. So one of the drills we've talked about today is um, 
doing some swings with your right foot well back. And the idea then is to encourage the club to come from a slightly shallower angle and get the player coming forwards and through. I think another thing, we've talked about aiming today, but of course, if you're aiming at, uh, down the target line and picking an intermediate target, often encourage players to hit through the ball and through the intermediate target. And that gives you the net effect of you pulling the club through and taking you onto your left side rather than just merely saying, I need to get my weight over. Because obviously people vary and Chez is a fine figure of a man, so he will uh, <laughs> move slightly differently to, dare I say, a slimmer shape. So, that, so you have so to you, bear that in saying, mind. So, so the picking a spot just in front of the ball to aim at, to hit over, yes. would, would help? Would help, definitely, because it's encouraging you to get the club down the line, which inevitably will get your weight over and you'll start to get the ball with a little bit more of a stronger strike. And it's interesting you say with the wedges, because that is quite a theme I find in full wedge shots, is that... You know, Jez is a good player, but often they'll end up hanging back a little bit on the right-hand side. They'll lose the hand angle through the shot. They'll dissipate the really the sort of strong strike you're looking for and end up with inconsistent strikes and inconsistent distance controls. So, yes, uh, yes. Now, uh, I was going to ask that um, far bit for me to offer Jez any kind of encouragement or praise about his golf game, but he is a fairly consistent player and he, uh, we all laugh about his lead boot his lead right <laughs> right right boot uh, that he wears around the golf course that stops him from getting off his, his right side but he is a fairly consistent player if he, if he came mm. to you with this fault and said look I, I really want to get rid of it but he, he you know he knows where the golf ball's going mm. most of the time he hits a consistent fade yeah there's the odd pull in there would it be something that you'd try and sort of slowly eke out of his golf game or is it a bit more serious than that or would you all leave it all together what would be your, what is your I think uh, I think always what I do I was trying to work with whatever somebody's come to me with and I think in Jez's case well it's actually more of an angle from the top of his swing so he'll be coming slightly across the line hence that's why I get a few pulled shots and then also with the inconsistency with the wedges so I'd actually work on swing path and then the body well it takes its own form I mean you see in you know the world of golf you've got Bubba Watson I mean both his feet are off the ground when he hits the ball you wouldn't coach that but it's pretty successful and there was a very good uh, American professional a guy called Bob Gilder who made a lot of money and his right foot was always on the ground when he hit the golf ball so there's ways that everybody interprets a golf swing I think but the thing I've learned is that it's all about impact it's all about getting in the right angles there and often it's because the players just cast the club so if we can get him to get it a little bit a fraction shallower then actually the right foot almost is a bit of a red herring okay you know? right so, okay um, interesting I think Kenny Perry was quite flat-footed through the ball wasn't he yes yeah, yeah. that's a good point yeah, yeah. Yeah. He did all right. There was one year where he practically won five tournaments in a row, wasn't mm. he? So. But no major. No major. For Kenny. No. Well, he never yeah. used to come over for the Open, which rather... Didn't he? No. He did eventually, I think, when he had uh, a really okay. good year, but he was one of those Americans who didn't make the trip and preferred the mm. John Deere Classic or whatever. Or Greater, <laughs> Greater Milwaukee Open on the PGA Tour. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. I think golf swings, are, it's, like, it's like dance movements. that you know People will interpret it how they will and so I think it's actually the nitty-gritty is how good's the strike are you getting down the line are you compressing the ball well and then the other bit there's really there's style and the substance and that's what I work on a lot yeah I work on the substance rather than the style okay uh, now this uh, anyone again if you pick up a copy of the magazine you will notice uh, that we are being supported by Ping. Uh, thanks to the guys at Ping for supporting us uh, with this project and helping us put it together. It is greatly appreciated. And Ping, obviously, is a brand who uh, they're famed for. I mean, there's no two ways about it. They do try and create con uh, create golf clubs that help people play better. So as mm. they try, they're always trying to pack as much forgiveness into all of the golf clubs they produce. But I want to ask both of you an equipment-related question about faults. 
Jess, I'll start with you. Mm. What do you think is the biggest fault that players make equipment related in their game? So, you know, is it people not carrying enough hybrids? Is it people not having enough bounce on their wedges? Is it people thinking they hit the ball further than they do? Is it people not getting custom fitted properly for woods or eyes? What do you think would be the biggest mistake equipment related that people uh, make? Going back a few years, I would have said uh, a desire to try and play with as low a lofted driver as possible was seen as a kind of status symbol in golf. Definitely. And uh, if you didn't play with anything, you know, less than eight and a half degrees, you weren't a mm. golfer, which Modern thinking has gone almost the other way, and then maybe back a little bit the other way again of late, mm. with the you know the loft up thing that uh, a rival brand um, brought to the table a few few years ago. But most common mistake, I think, I personally, I think a lot of normal golfers have been hoodwinked into carrying too many wedges that really don't give them the breadth of. They really don't make maximum use of the 14 clubs available to them. Right, carrying. Drive to four wedges. Uh, you know, you were saying earlier about Henrik Stenson's take on that, and I'm absolutely with with Henrik. Well, let, let, let rather... me explain. Yeah, yeah. Henrik Stenson uh, said to me a couple of years ago, um, we were out in Abu Dhabi. I interviewed him. We were talking about uh, his bag makeup, and he said he always prefers to have more options at the top end of his bag mm. because that's where he's best. So he is a, obviously a prodigious ball striker, and being able to hit all the different shots from 200 yards and out means that he wants options. He wants different shots to be able to hit off the tee. He wants to be able to approach greens in different ways and really make the most of the strengths that he has. So he likes to pack the top end of his bag mm. and get those distance gaps down so that he really is dialed in where his strength lies mm. um, and yeah Jesse you're sort of reiterating that well mm. in some ways you know that's interesting isn't it because you think a guy who hits it that far probably doesn't need that much of that end of the bag because he then has the scope to you know really hone in his wedges and have but but he wants to go the other way so mm. he's more interested in perhaps having a club that goes 240 and one that goes 255 and one that goes 270 rather than mm. The whole, the whole range of wedges. Exactly, exactly. And Barney, for you, equipment related, what do you see your pupils or people that you just generally observe on a day-to-day -day basis, yeah. the mistakes they make? I think it's twofold, really. I think firstly, definitely the lie angles of irons. They're often, you know, people have just bought a set of irons or they've got a set of hand-me-downs and they haven't really looked at what the lie angle is. And of course, if they're too flat or too upright, then you're you're certainly behind the eight ball, as they say in the States, and you're struggling to get the, you know, the whole club on the back of the ball. So I think that would be number one. And I think then really in shafts, you know, people need to get their swing speeds measured and often they're playing with shafts that are just too stiff for them, quite honestly. Right. Okay. And of course, they're not generating the power. And of course, if you, if you have a slightly softer shaft, you'll get more clubhead speed and then you'll catch up. And of course, if you stick a couple of hybrids in your bag, you're making up that ground. And, you know, that, that's where I still am amazed how many people still carry four irons in their bags. You know, it's... And, and, and for you, Bunny, as someone who's been a, obviously been a club pro through the, through, through the years, um, you must have done a lot of club fittings in mm. your time. H how much has that part of it come on? Um, they're really, uh, we were discussing it earlier, there's really no excuse for people to, now, nowadays to be playing no. with clubs that aren't properly fitted for them. I think the perception was a few years ago, or if it's custom fitted, it's almost like you're going for a custom fitted suit, it's going to cost more money. And of course, you know, ping approved, well, that's not the case. And in fact, that's how they want to sell their golf clubs. They want to have them, you know. So 
when I've had a shop, you know, we had a minimal amount of stock because it's the, the likelihood I've had a set of clubs in the shop that would fitted you would have been zero, zero. really. Yeah. But then of course, you know, certain people have been trying to sell stuff, you know, they've got lots of inventory or lots of stock and they just try and get rid of it there. But that's what Ping based the whole premise around is build it to the person. And what I like with them is they, they often don't even advocate you have 14 clubs, get 10 and see where the gaps appear. And like Henrik Stenson, he was saying, you know, the gaps appear in my 200 plus range, that's why I want more clubs there. That's his take on his it. His take you know? on it. Because yeah. you, ultimately, you can only carry 14 clubs. You've got Absolutely. an important decision to yeah. make. And again, another thing we were discussing earlier was how some people, there is a point of diminishing return with loft and with irons mm. in particular. People carrying five, four irons. And actually, sorry, not five, four irons, but mm. they're carrying a five iron and a four iron. They're carrying a five iron and a four iron. And actually, because of the loft and the club head speed, the, the physics of those two things mean that they can't hit the four iron only any no, further than they not. can hit the five iron so the four iron mm. becomes a pointless golf club in the bag mm. interesting one on this we, we're doing another feature in the magazine with a young lad who um who's had the same set of clubs since he first really started playing and he was saying the shafts were too stiff for him when he was a youngster mm. he's now about 20 21 uh, and he's still using the same set of clubs and he's playing off three so he's now gone from case where they were too stiff to now having to adapt his game to fit the clubs retrospectively get them right for his he's, well he's having to adapt his swing to yeah. match the clubs that he hadn't yet got rid of right okay. even though he'd progressed well beyond those clubs well i mean so you know yeah. i'm sure there's a lot of people out there do that you know they, mm. they grow up and they, they have to swing differently to mm. match the club rather than go and buy a new set like, exactly exactly um, okay well one area we haven't uh, touched on so far is short game and then putting, and I think we'll come on to putting uh, eventually, but firstly, short game, Jezza, mm. again, for you, what would be the either the fault that you make most in your game or the fault that you see most um, on, on the golf course that people make? Uh, the fault that I make most in my game is that I haven't really got a flighted shot from 40 to 70 yards. A pitch? <coughs> I haven't got a high a flighted mid pitch. pitch. I would always be looking to run it in low, almost a link-style shot, mm. and that's just pure laziness on my part because I've never practiced it I've never never honed it into my game the most common fault I see with other golfers is far too much loft for shots from just off the green and mm. uh, a refusal to use the putter from even two or three feet off the green sometimes which I just can't quite fathom personally and for you Barney what, what would be the faults that you you'd see most of in I the think it, it's um, it's trying to assist the ball in the air I think you know they're not trusting the loft of the club I think that's one of the big things I see and then some of it of course it's faulty technique so players are getting out of position they're coming at the wrong angles and so they miss hit it they then try and assist the ball and then it's that downward spiral and then of course they get over the shot they're not confident they'll duff it and then they're trying everything they can do to avoid playing that chip shot yeah know? and that's the thing and if you see all these top players at the end of the day it's very rare anybody ever hits 18 greens so someone like Jordan Spieth's taken scrambling to a, a fine art yes know? he's up and downing it and you know that's the thing I, I think that's where players just need to go and everybody goes to perceive a, a lesson on their full swing but very rarely you get asked about short game right yeah and obviously I mean we, we do it a lot with you Barney in particular we look at putting with mm. you but for, for the, the fault that you've just mentioned that, that assisting the ball in the air if anyone listening to this is suffering you know has a tendency to do that you're probably catching shots either slightly fat or slightly thin mm. um, what would be the fix 
Well, the fix on that is almost to try and maintain your levels. I'm, I, I get players to uh, work on keeping their, their lead shot, often it's their left shoulder, but for uh, left hand is the right. Keep that left shoulder the same height through the shot. Because what I see an awful lot of is a bobbing up and down of the body. So there's that little assistance. So they're almost involuntary, the player goes down in trying to assist the ball up. So if you can start with keeping the body level and turning through the ball at the same height, you'll bring the club back at the right angle and show the right loft to the goal. It's very interesting because it's, it's, it's a mini version of the full swing, isn't it? Absolutely. I, mean, I often, I said to you, again, said to you earlier, I often hear pros talking to me about the importance of posture and setting the right posture at mm. address and then maintaining it through the swing. It's a mini version of that, Absolutely. isn't it, for the, yeah. for, the, for the short game, that mm. if your posture is changing, if your angles are changing, mm. then you're bringing poor strikes very much into the equation. Mm. So let's move on to putting then. Uh, Jezza, mm. what's the putting fault that you see most? Um, I see most in myself or others or... Either. Um, uh, in myself, I'm generally a fairly reasonable putter. I would um, agree with that. But I have days... <laughs> Annoyingly. I, I do, my, my biggest problem is if I have a day where I get off to a bad start on the green in the first couple of holes, that confidence gets eroded and then you just don't have the belief that you're going to hold it. Mm. So you miss a couple of makeable ones early on or three putt early on and it can be quite hard to come back from that I find so maybe it's just a mental game thing a kind a of bit, you mm. know if the, you know if an eight footer goes in on the first you're off and mm. running if it doesn't you're thinking oh birdie chance gone yeah mm. I'm not going to get that many of those so maybe that's my my biggest uh, fault in others <clears throat> I think mostly under borrowing is the, the most common mm. fault I observe in in golfers I play with. Mm. It's interesting isn't it, but have you got any advice for reading greens? I mean reading greens is either, I don't know, you're either good at it or you're not. <laughs> Are you? yeah, I think or just, is there yeah. actual advice that you can I think offer uh, what I'm trying to, especially you know, the, the thing on a putting green is that the, the most putts most players are going to face are between 25 to 45 feet. So you want to start getting good at those. And it's something you can practice. And I think what I try and encourage players to do is, is split the putt into three. So you've got a beginning, middle and end if you like. So the beginning part of it, you're trying to set the ball off on the right line. The middle part, you'll allow the ball to run. And then at the end, that's the bit that you need to focus on. So when you're looking at the putt, you need to spend more time on the final third of it. Because as the ball starts to die in pace, it'll, the break takes much more. And I think players get sidetracked by the hole too much. They look too much at the hole rather than looking at the camber of the ground. And maybe even just walking around, standing on, you know, there's a new technique aim point where they encourage players to stand with their feet astride the line to almost feel it, you know, if one foot's higher than the other, then yeah. that, that's helping them with the break. I mean, I generally encourage players just to look at the topography of the green. Yeah. Just have a look at that. And then you can start to see the, the lines. And certainly on your own golf course, there's a couple of greens you struggle with. Just pop out there and roll a few balls when it's quiet one evening and just start to get learn how the ball rolls out. Yeah, because there, I mean, every time you play golf, there are... You're, I mean, I can't imagine, I can't think of a single round of golf I've played where I've not hit a putt where I've been surprised by the way that it's, it's mm. broken. Like, I guess you, you can't beat yourself up too much about yeah, it because exactly. we all do it. We all a, either get f too focused on the specific line of our putt without seeing the topography mm. of the green as a whole, or we miss something around the hole, whether it's, oh, that putt was actually slightly downhill. Mm. I wasn't tuned into that and suddenly yeah. I've whacked it five feet past. Absolutely. Um, what about the short ones? Because missing short putts is probably the most frustrating thing mm. that a golfer can do and um, you yeah. know being constantly you know within touching distance of a decent score and then throwing it yeah. away with the what feels like the easiest stroke in the in the game what uh, again it's sort of what Jezza was um, talking about it's, it's a bit mental game it's a, a bit physical it's a bit mental what mm. what would be your advice to people who struggle with their short putting 
It's all about routine and, and definitely short putting. The, the number one error is that we're moving around, you know, so that the putt overtakes, um, the importance of the putt overtakes the making of the stroke. So you can see players' eyes dart towards the hole. And of course, as soon as they do that, the chest moves, the right arm comes out and the putter very slightly just cuts across it or pulls it. And of course, instead of making that nice square contact, so you could see, I mean, mentioning Jordan Spieth again in Master Putter, you know, for several years, I don't think he's doing it now, but he was looking at the hole with yeah, the express does, idea. Think, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah, I think on some, yeah. So, and that, it's a nice visualisation. I always encourage students to do that as a practice tip. But certainly on short putts, it's taking away that, you know, you're now looking at the hole, that's it. But it, what it's doing is it's keeping your head nice and still. So then at least then you can come in and as long as you've made a good solid strike, then that's all you can do. You know, you will miss a few putts. I mean, that's uh, unfortunate, but we beat ourselves up about it. That's the problem. Yes. And, and often it's for a shot, you know, it's for two points or it's to halve a hole or stuff like that. And it's also, the other thing is, Bunny, it's easier said than done, isn't it? Mm. That we all know how important it is not to get carried away and not to be thinking mm. too much about if I can just make this, that's a par and that's another mm. hole gone and there's another two yeah. points in the bag, whatever it might be. Yeah actually getting yourself out of that mode and thinking about the the kind of the process of the shot itself mm. is harder it's easier said it's, yes, than done it isn't is, it? no you're right it is easier said than done but it's trying to it was interesting a few years ago when um, you know again i encourage players to do that four point drill around the hole so you'll have a three three putts or three foot putt rather in four points you'll have an uphill downhill side hill and left to right and right to left putt and so that way if you practice that and say if you do that so five times, that's 20 putts. If you can hold maybe, say, 14, 15, that's pretty good. And a few years ago, you might recall Phil Mickelson often would be standing at the side of the putt, definitely not on the line of it, making a stroke. And in his mind, he was practicing that drill. So he kept the drill going when he was actually playing in you know, Ryder Cups and majors and stuff like that. So he was trying to trick his mind into going, I'm still doing the drill. That three foot putt's just the same as when I'm on the practice. And you can range. trick your mind? I think so, you yeah, can, yeah. I think you can, yeah. Your subconscious yeah. is thinking, it goes into a place where it's suddenly a bit more comfortable. Mm, absolutely, yeah. Um, and Jezza, so for, for you, we talked about the most common faults in golf. What are the worst faults in golf? What are the faults in golf that, the shots that you hit that you just cannot stomach? That you hit and then all of a sudden you just want to get off the golf course or you want to throw a club or you want to swear or whatever it is you want to do. What's the worst, most annoying fault in golf? That's, uh, that's a tough one. I mean, I suppose it's the, the unmentionable, really, isn't it? Because you can't get around the golf course with that. And everything else, <laughs> if you're duffing it or topping it, if you're duffing or topping it straight, you can still largely get around the golf course. If every shot is going off at 45... You don't want to say the word. I'm not going to say the word because it might upset <laughs> some listeners. I'll say it, Shane. <laughs> Just for the, the, the benefit yeah. of clarity so that everyone the, knows uh, what we're talking the about. rocket. Um, but... And I, I, I said to you in the, in the car on the way here today, I hit one at the Belfry a couple of weeks ago when we were up there on the... I haven't hit a full swing iron shank for four years. And then oh, just well. completely out of the blue on the um, 14th there, the par three, hmm. turned it into a, a slight dog leg. <laughs> <laughs> it's almost not really what you want on a 175 yard hole and you end up, you know, I was in a position where I couldn't get back over to the green. Then got a bad line, you make five and a hole where you're standing on the tee thinking, right, come on. Hmm. Like a you know, and two shots are gone and if you're playing a hole where you I remember once playing a round of golf where I had played very well for the first eight holes and on the ninth at Crowborough middle of the fairway perfect I was about one over so going nicely three shanks in succession with an iron oh. into the woods and then did you cry I felt a little bit I think it was a Stableford <laughs> so the damage was <laughs> limited to no points um, and then for the next three or four holes because of the 
the way the holes play, I didn't have to hit an iron. So I had about an hour before <laughs> I had to hit my next iron shot. And next iron shot was perfect, fine, and it had been and gone. But gone. three in a row, hmm. quick succession within, you know. So by the end of that, you thought, um, I've ingrained that into my golf game, that's perfect. I, I don't really know what you think by the end of that. You don't know where it's come from, and then you don't know when it's going to go. I mean, the hardest shot in golf is the iron shot after a shot. Mm. Yeah, it's indeed. Confidence has completely mm, flown the nest. And you just met anything yeah, with the, the cuff face on the ball you're happy with. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. so Barney, we have just covered it, but it quickly just explain for us what's the cure. Well, the cure is, is to get the club back on plane. It always happens where, and, and often it does set in when you're playing really well, bizarrely, because it's you actually over relax and you make an indifferent backswing. So nine times out of ten, the player's taken it too flat on the backswing. They've then looped it back over on the way through, and it's come right out of the heel of the club unfortunately so it's almost at your most relaxed that's your most dangerous and so what I encourage players to do is, is do the little drill where we're actually practicing taking the club back on plane making sure that the club's on that angle and then once you're on that angle it's impossible to shank it from there but it's definitely where the club's too flat on the inside and then over the top on the way through and then you just get just zooms off the socket of the club it's horrific and it's horrible um, and Barney the one I, what I was going to ask you was uh, as somebody who's obviously played golf to a very high level What's the fault that mo that good players struggle with most often, would you say? For, for those people who are listening to this who might play off, you know, five or f four or five or scratch or even better, mm. what, what are the sort of faults that you reckon that better players? I think with some of it's um, expectations. Sometimes they, you know, give themselves too hard a time. And if you look at some of the top players, they say, take an example of a regular player like Ian Poulter, you know, he's not on it all the time, you know, and so when he's not having such a great week, he'll take something from that. And I think sometimes they don't take enough from their games. They'll actually pressurise themselves too much. If you're a scratch golfer, that's a really good level. But if they come in four or five over, I notice they beat themselves up and give themselves a hard time. And you've only got to see, you know, crikey, even in somebody like Ricky Fowler took 80 in the first round of the Masters. You know, it does happen. Um, and I think from a, probably it's short game. So when you talk about the really top players, their short games are very consistent all the time. And probably some aspiring players, club players, don't actually spend enough time working on their chipping and putting. They'll perceive practice as, well, if I go down the range, I hit 200 balls, that's a proper session. But spending 20, 30 minutes mucking around by a green, it's like, well, you're not really trying. Bit it? of an afterthought. It is a bit of, oh, well, I'll just go and spend a few minutes there. But actually, it's time well spent. And, and I think self-discovery um, self is huge in short game. So if you're out there for 20, 30 minutes chipping, you start to get a feel of it, you know, you know how much it's going to spin. And that really what regulates your golf, because if you're having an indifferent day, the chipping and putting, that can keep your score ticking along. And even these top players will tell you, they won't have a great score every single day. You know, so it's very rare somebody shoots a 65 first round of the tournament, they very rarely break 70 the next day. Indeed, mm. and that's it's very true. It's interesting because I was just flicking through an old Golf Monthly where I'd, I'd done an interview with Dave Pelts, hmm. and uh, the big pull quote on the page was, um, a lot of club pros I think actually hit the ball well enough to play for a living, but they don't chip and putt well enough. Right. Whereas I think a lot of people probably have thought it's more likely there's a difference in ball striking between the really good players mm and the next level down, but Dave Peltz was effectively saying the opposite. Mm. Yeah, and I, uh, well, I've spent enough time at tour events to see players hit the ball on the range and think to myself, yeah, he's good, but mm. he's no better than some of the people that you know, you'd see at the, you would see at the golf club. Mm. But it's, you know, it is, it's the business end of the game, isn't it? Absolutely. And yeah. I think, ultimately, gents, golf is hard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it boils down no to. No doubt about it. Getting that little club face on the ball square to the target when you're trying to swing it around about 100 miles an hour it's tricky mm, yeah it is <laughs> well, I mean, yeah. in some ways it's a miracle that we, are, we 
have as much success as we do. <laughs> I mean, you look at the size of an iron head, not a huge amount bigger than the ball really, is it, some of them? And you've got to get that exactly in the right plane, exactly mm. at the right angle, exactly in the right line. I mean, how do we ever hit the ball? Really, how do we ever hit the ball? <laughs> Well, I think that's conversely, <laughs> when you hit it well, it's, uh, there's nothing better. There's well, that's possibly great, why. Yeah, it's that's why we come theme. back out. Um, gents, I think that's probably a good place to leave <laughs> it. Um, uh, as I said, we do have a big um, uh, September issue of Golf Monthly. It's a special issue in which we are looking at. We have 32 pages looking at the 50 biggest faults in, get, in golf. And Barney is going to be offering uh, his advice for how to fix them. It really is unmissable. Um, I don't expect for a second anyone to sit there and read every single one of Barney's <laughs> unless you really well, are. Hopefully they're not afflicted with all 50. <laughs> <laughs> but certainly as, as a reference, as something you can go back to. Um, to have a look at, to, to get some guidance when things go wrong. I can imagine this, I'm hoping we're in the middle of producing it now, I'm pretty sure this piece is gonna be um, unmissable. And also again, just to say thank you to the guys at Ping um, for, for helping us put this together and for sponsoring the, um, the Fault Fixer uh, feature within the magazine. Um, we hope that through the work that we're able to do out here at West Hill uh, and the photographs that we're able to take, we'll be able to provide some really simple core instruction that anyone, no matter what handicap you play off, no matter whether you've just picked up the golf club for the first time uh, today or whether you've been playing for 50 years, um, there should be in it something in it for everybody. Uh, but for now, from West Hill, it's goodbye.